Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. Our show, which began in September of 2019, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. All previous episodes can be heard and downloaded on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, as well as on popular podcast platform. Please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. You can hear short news tidbits about senior issues on my YouTube channel at Phyllis Amon Associates. I post three times weekly. Please visit my YouTube channel to like, share, and subscribe to Senior News for today. Also, for those listeners feeling stressed, stretched, and overwhelmed, help is here. Resilience Toolbox Secrets will help you recharge, reset, and recommit as you face life's challenges, especially for struggling caregivers and healthcare workers. You can find them on my website as phyllisamonassociates.com, along with my latest course, A Caregiver's Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. My book, Dignity and Respect, Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, became a number one new release on Amazon one day after publication on December 5th. I hope you'll pick up a copy, share with friends, colleagues, and family members to help spread the word on this all-important topic. Before we begin at this juncture, I want to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services for his support. Peter DeGear is a colleague and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. I'm proud to have as a collaborative partner on Senior Straight Talk, the Pass It On Network, a global organization of thought leaders and advocates in 70 countries dedicated to discovering solutions to critical issues for older people around the world. Together, we will continue to bring informative conversations to the senior years of our lives. Now for today's guest. I'm thrilled to welcome back to Seniors Straight Talk, Dr. Mike Wasserman, a geriatrician who has devoted his career to serving the needs of older adults. He has been a tireless advocate for vulnerable older adults during the COVID-19 pandemic and has been featured on major news outlets, has been interviewed before the California legislature on issues related to COVID-19. Dr. Wasserman has served as a member of the National Academy of Sciences, a framework for equitable allocation of vaccine for the novel coronavirus coronavirus committee. He is also editor-in-chief of Springer's upcoming textbook, Geriatric Medicine, a person-centered, evidence-based approach. Previously, he served as chief executive officer for Rockport Healthcare Services, overseeing the largest nursing home chain in California, which was featured in a recent story in the Washington Post. And prior to that, he was the executive director for Care Continuum, a health services advisory group, the quality improvement organization for California. In 2001, he co-founded Senior Care of Colorado, which became the largest privately owned primary care geriatrics practice in the country. So with that, 
Dr. Wasserman, and I'm proud to be able to call you Mike, if that's okay. Yes. Um, well, that was certainly a mouthful, at least for me, but um, I know that now you have a lot to share, so I'm going to give the floor to you, uh, most importantly, about your advocacy regarding COVID-19, the vaccine, nursing homes. You know, tell us a little bit about what you, you've been doing. So, you know, as we spoke before, for the last 10 months, I have been focused on trying to help protect vulnerable older adults who live in nursing homes, as well as the staff who care for them. And, you know, I, I never like to, I always like to remind folks that working in a nursing home over the last 10 months is actually been shown to be the most dangerous job in the country over the last 10 months. And so it's not just about the residents, it's also about the staff. Um, I've actually avoided until the last few weeks thinking about assisted living facilities, mm. primarily because I just don't have the emotional bandwidth to think about anything beyond the, you know, the 100,000 people who died in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. But the vaccine has forced me out of my comfort zone, has actually pushed me to working even harder and, and, and just becoming more committed. We need to get the residents and staff of nursing homes, assisted livings, and group homes vaccinated. Um, and, and actually the thing that really hit me this morning when I woke up, because that's how I kind of roll, is I wake up with an idea and then I spend my entire day working on it, is memory care units in assisted living facilities. So folks who, with Alzheimer's disease, who live in an assisted living memory care unit have been one of the most impossible tasks during this, this pandemic. They don't they're not cooperative with wearing masks. They're not cooperative with physical distancing. And so ultimately, the, really the only way of protecting them is to get them and the staff vaccinated. And I discovered in the last few weeks that here in California, getting assisted livings vaccinated has become incredibly problematic mm. to the extent that we have assisted living facilities that aren't even supposed to get their first dose of the vaccine till mid to late March. Right. Mm. And I have lost my mind. Right. <laughs> so, and you know, when I, when I, when, you know, I'm a dog with bone. Okay. And, and when I get something that bugs me, I'm not going to let go of it. And I've been beating everything I can to, to find out why there's the delay but more important, because when I ran, whenever I've run my businesses and companies, I have a rule. Don't bring me a problem. Bring me a solution. Right. <laughs> so I, I'm not about to contact the state of California or the county of Los Angeles or the federal government, which unfortunately, you know, we can't really do much with until January 20th. Um, but when I do, I'm going to bring them solutions, right? Mm -hmm. And and we've actually, so about almost three months ago, we formed one of our Delphi groups. Those are groups of experts that develop evidence or expert-driven recommendations 
um, we developed a group looking at the vaccine in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And we've been, number one, the first thing I can tell you is since our first meeting in, in mid to late October, we've predicted everything that's happened with the vaccine rollout in nursing homes. Can, can I just make a comment? Because yeah. I had an experience today, actually. Uh, somebody called me and asked me to help out in a nursing home for a speech therapist who's, I don't know, on vacation or away for a week or two. So today was my third day there. And uh, there were, so they were supposed to be getting the vaccine. I do know that some staff people received the vaccine, but there were countless residents who asked me, we were supposed to get it at nine o'clock. Where is it? Um, are they going to remember us? Are they going to come and get me in my room? Uh, even people who were somewhat confused, they, they were really looking forward to this vaccine and they were asking me, now I don't know how this facility works because I'm just covering, so I don't know the, the inner workings of this place, uh, but they were, they were very, very, very concerned. Oh, one woman in particular, she, of course, can only visit her daughter through the window, and she's hoping that she can get the vaccine, and so can her daughter, who's also over the age of 60, so that they could maybe start to visit again. But, you know, there was no clear messaging so that people were even put at ease. This doesn't even help uh, the situation, because now they're already in an anxious state. So, so here's what's fascinating. We've learned a lot over the last few weeks. And that's one of the beauties of our group is we are monitoring what's going on around the country. I actually spoke to someone yesterday who said, we've been told that everything's going great. You know, that the nursing homes are doing great. And you know, a lot, most of the residents are getting the vaccine and agreeing to get the vaccine. And the problem is between CVS and Walgreens, the federal government, and the nursing home companies, it's all about optics. Right. Okay. So the nursing homes that are getting the vaccine, okay, and this is a big, the nursing homes that are actually receiving it. Okay. Right. And what we'll percentage, may, may I ask what percentage are those? Let, let's, it's we'll it's get horrible. To. It's right. horrible. Isn't it something like 8% or something? Well, it, it, we may be getting closer to, well, okay, actually, that's not clear because there's no transparency right now ah. in terms of how many facilities have gotten the vaccine, what percentage of their staff are getting the vaccine. We, again, we shouldn't be surprised. This is an administration that doesn't pride itself on planning or transparency. So, and the problem is, and so when you get the vaccine to a nursing home, the residents are going to take it. Okay, we're hearing, and I actually had someone say, I heard that 90% of the residents are taking it. Isn't that great? Everything's going good. And I said, okay, here's the deal. Why wouldn't the residents or their families want to take a vaccine to protect them from a virus that kills 30% of the people who get it? Okay? Right, exactly. So, so most people, most residents and their families are taking the vaccine, okay? The problem is, well, there's a second part to this. 
That is how many of the staff are taking it. That's ah, a that totally was different, different story. story. That, by the way, that was my going to be my next question because there is tremendous skepticism. I mean, we don't have to go into the reasons for that, but there's tremendous skepticism. And so what does that mean if they're out and about in the communities and with their families? Because, I mean, just to say this is obviously something that you know, I don't know how many of the of our listeners know this, but in, in communities where there are surges, there are increased numbers of people in nursing homes who are, you no, know, who are getting the virus. So, so that's incredibly important. So, I mean, hopefully we'll get into that a little bit because I'm sure that you're, you're working on that as well. Oh yeah, no, and, and, and you know what? We'll come back to the staff because I, I, I think the first thing is, I mean, it all goes together, but here's the deal. There are now close to 4 million doses of the vaccine that have been distributed to the states for purposes of vaccinating nursing home residents, okay? And, um, you know, it's funny, I, I actually, I, I, I had, I, I, I actually have had the, um, the website pulled up. I'm gonna look at it right now. Yep, 3.7 million. And I wonder if they've updated it today yet. Um, actually, they have. Four million. Okay, my numbers were spot on. Four million doses distributed for the purpose of immunizing long-term care facilities. And by the way, long-term care facilities, by definition, means nursing homes and assisted livings. However, I, did, I just want to interject that I have a colleague, friend, whose uh, mother is in an assisted living oh, yeah. residence. And he was surprised. And uh, by the way, this is somebody in this space. And he was surprised to learn that assisted living residences weren't necessarily included in Correct. the long-term care calculation. So here, here's, here's the challenge is when we made our recommendations through the National Academy, as a member of that committee, I specifically made sure we used verbiage of nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Right. So that was part of our recommendation. So here's the deal, over 4 million doses of the vaccine distributed. So that means they're there, they're on a shelf somewhere, right? 693,000 of those doses have actually been given. Okay, so I have another question. So that's 4 million. Does that include, because there are about 1.4 million people residing in nursing homes and approximately the same number in the 28,000 assisted living residences in the country. No. So yeah. are those, since it's a two-dose vaccine, does that mean that those are for residents but not healthcare workers? No, that's... So the way this is rolled out through the federal partnership program, uh, originally they, they had separate approaches, one for residents, one for staff. At least they figured out before they did this that that was stupid <laughs> because you're going into a nursing home and you're, you're going to vaccinate the residents or you're not going to do the staff or vice versa. They had different programs set up. One was through the federal, one was through the state's. So they sort of moved everything off into the states, which is what this administration does. Right. They don't take responsibility. They give it to the states and they say, here, we're done. Good luck. Right. Okay. Right. And, and, and so the bottom line is the vaccines are sitting out there and they're not being used yet. 
Okay, and that's what is absolutely despicable. So, of course it is. So, so why, why is that? Well, so there's a few reasons. Number one, and I was quoted in the news yesterday or two days ago saying, CVS and Walgreens wouldn't know a nursing home from a senior apartment complex. Well, wait, by the way, uh, Mike, I, I saw that quote. <laughs> and and, and you I, know, I got to tell I you. I on Twitter also. <laughs> when, when, when I read it in print, I'm like, oh, you know, I wonder, maybe I was a little harsh. And, but you know what? Honestly, I haven't spoken to any of my colleagues who disagree with that. But, but I have to admit, when I saw it, I said the same thing. went, oh, okay. <laughs> well, but here's the deal. CBS and Walgreens are the owners, shareholders of Omnicare and Pharmerica. Correct. You would think that Omnicare and Pharmerica have helped CVS and Walgreens develop their approach to giving the vaccine in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. But you, if you think that would be the case, you'd be thinking wrong. So, I mean, wouldn't that be essential? Because uh, nursing homes are a very unique place. Um, it's a unique environment and you really have to understand how they function just like any business. You need to understand the flow of information, the systems and who's who, you know, what's what. <laughs> you know, what's amazing to me. I literally just got off. Um, I was on back to back interviews on the radio here in drive time, Los Angeles. Okay. Two different stations. I'm talking about this issue. And the average layperson gets this. The average layperson is, what's so difficult? You gotta get the vaccine, you gotta bring it, you gotta vaccinate people. And, and people are just like, what's the problem? Well, the problem is the federal government didn't plan, okay? And the federal government didn't prepare the states or the counties and basically, and I, I was quoted on this a, a month ago because I'm, I'm not a Johnny come lately. I, I, you know, I, I lay it out there. I predict what's going to happen. And then when it actually happens, it actually adds to my credibility. So, you know, I mean, I basically said the federal government created a vaccine that they were delivering to the doorstep of the nursing homes without any planning. And that was going to lead to chaos. Right. And, and, and we, all know, we all know the, 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 the adage, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Exactly. And, and so, and the problem is the states and the, 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 the counties, they, they didn't have any way of preparing because the feds didn't give them information. Now, what we're seeing across the country is you're seeing some states figuring it out better than others, which is a shame. Right. This never should have been something that was forced upon the states to figure out at the last minute. It should have been planned, worked on, collaborated with transparently. And so like West Virginia is a good example. West Virginia was actually the first state to figure out they needed to test all of their nursing homes. And they pulled the National Guard or whatever, and they went out and they tested them all back in April. West Virginia opted out 
of the federal program because they figured out that Walgreens and pharmacies didn't know a nursing home from a senior apartment complex. (laughs) And they did it themselves. And West Virginia is almost done vaccinating all of their nursing home residents as we speak. So I have a question because I was working in nursing homes during COVID. And uh, then I was... uh, doing some oversight for some clinical program development and some other facilities. And uh, how is it that they were able to organize the testing program? Because in New York state, at least you had to be tested initially twice a week and then once a week. And uh, how come they were able to do that? I mean, it was really like clockwork. There was no, they didn't skip a beat. I mean, honestly, this is, again, the federal government should have had the power, the wherewithal, the expertise to figure these things out and then basically tell the states what they needed to do. Instead, they're like, okay, you know, like with the tests, they sent out test machines to nursing homes and it's like, here they are, good luck. You can figure out how to use them. You can figure out how to put them together. And that makes no sense. Uh, You know, Tony Fauci, I think a week and a half, two weeks ago said, it doesn't make sense to to hand things to 50 states and get 50 different approaches. What you need to do is have one approach. You tell the states what they need to do. You give them some flexibility based on the fact that states are different. Some are more rural, some are more, you know, urban, some are more suburban, you know, but you give them clear direction. And and we didn't do that. So don't you think this is all part and parcel of how this was all handled from the very beginning, even with the PPE, where states were left vying for finding PPE, you know, individually, um, and states were competing against each other? No, this will go down in history. This administration will go down in history as the worst crisis management administration in the history of our country. And actually, I was saying that in March as someone who ran a large billion dollar business and understands crisis management. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when, you're, when you're in a crisis management mode, you have to stay focused. You have to make sure that the people who know what they know are focused on what they do. People need to stay in their lane, which is actually, I've practiced that. People will say to me, what do you think about vaccinating kids? And I'm like, I have no clue because for the last 10 months, I've been focused on nursing homes. Right. And that's because that's my area of expertise. And that's what I know. And I also know that there's very, there's almost no one in the federal government and in the state and local governments. And we've talked, we talked about this last time who has expertise in geriatrics and long-term care medicine. So, you know, that's where the focus has been. And, you know, the shame is um, with that sort of expertise, this isn't difficult. So I'm actually going to tell you the solution. Oh, great. And, and um, the solution is every nursing home, every assisted living facility in the country has a contracted long-term care pharmacy. That is true. So they have a pharmacy that knows how to get them medication every day, multiple times a day. Correct. That works with them. 
And the nursing homes have consultant pharmacists. Yes, they do. They work with the facility. Assisted living facilities have consultant pharmacists. They're just not there very often. Right. But Because it's a different model. So what, what we actually came out with a set. So California Association of Long-Term Care Medicine, of which I'm the past president, um, we convened a group of experts almost three months ago. We've put, we put out a consensus statement a couple of weeks ago and today put out a list of recommendations for the federal, state, and local governments to follow that basically says, if CVS and Walgreens are doing your vaccines in nursing homes and assisted livings, fine, but they must allow the long-term care pharmacies to participate. Mm. And if you think the long-term care pharmacies can do better, let the long-term care pharmacies do it. To me, the ideal world is CVS, Walgreens, the long-term care pharmacies, the facilities all jump into the sandbox together, play nice. Right. No one's in control and everyone is focused. So this needs to be the vaccine distribution in nursing homes and assisted living facility need to be resident and staff focused, not pharmacy focused. Right. And here's the problem. CVS and Walgreens have made it all about themselves. Well, it's yeah. our way or the highway. We're coming in. We're doing three vaccinations. If you're not there, tough. Right. If you don't like our consent form, well, too bad. And that is... So, so not good. Absolutely. So in a way, um, to my mind, you know, we talk so much about person centered care and person centered caring. So this is almost the same mindset of the provider mindset, as opposed to the end user mindset, the people who really care. I mean, the people who are really important, who are the residents and the people who take care of them. So, so here's what's happening. Here's the end result. I'll give you an example. Here in California, the computer system that facilities have to um, enter into getting activated so they can get the vaccine, it has a bunch of glitches. It took my facility almost 10 days after trying to enter our data, getting kicked out, getting told you're not in the system, calling customer support and getting crazy responses. We finally got in the system. The next day we had the vaccine. We are a large campus with a couple facilities and as well as RCFEs. We have vaccinated 1,500 people in the matter of eight days. Okay? Oh, that's phenomenal. Now, the thing is though, it shouldn't have taken us 10 days to get the vaccine. We could have been 10 days ahead. Right. And when you multiply that out, there are facilities right now going through the same types of logistical issues. And and what I hear from the field is, well, CVS and Walgreens will say, well, the facility did this or the facility didn't do that. Well, who, the problem with that thinking is Nursing home and assisted living residents are dying from this. Right. For anyone to say, well, you didn't fill out a form right, too bad, you're not getting your vaccine yet, is despicable. I agree. And we have to take a break, but I just want to say, talking about 
the, the incidence of the virus raging in nursing homes, even in the, the community at large, LA County, because you're in, you're in California, LA County went from 10% positivity rate per thousand people to 8% in just one week. But we're gonna take a short break and then we'll uh, come right back on Senior Straight Talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of all of Community Services, a 501c3 providing support services to seniors, families, and the community. Olive's Live, Learn, and Thrive programs engage seniors physically, mentally, and socially. Rubina's passion for seniors stems from her experiences as an only child, living miles away from her aging parents who are over 90 years of age. She understands the issues and decisions caregiver's face. Visit olivecs.org for further information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the hosts at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now, back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with uh, Dr. Mike Wasserman. We're having a phenomenal conversation about, about COVID-19, the vaccine, really, the rollout of the vaccine, what's going right, well, more what's going wrong, and what we need to do better. And he has solutions for that. So that's, I kind of think, where we left off, Mike, correct? That sounds right. Okay. So, um, you know, we were just talking about the fact in the break that nursing homes are a very different kind of environment. And the same mindset that you have in certain places aren't necessarily going to work. You know, you can't really just apply those same systems in nursing homes. Well, so, you know what, we, we, we were talking a lot about the vaccine and the residents, and I said, let's come back to the staff, and it's probably a perfect segue. Right. That one of the things that many of my colleagues and I knew three months ago was that we were bound to have a significant degree of vaccine hesitancy amongst nursing home staff. Right. And for anyone who knows anything about the vac- history of vaccines, there is a high degree of vaccine hesitancy, or I've actually shifted to talking about vaccine confidence so that we're using a positive word more. Mm-hmm. So amongst populations of color. Right. 
And, and there so, are reasons for that, though. There are absolute reasons that this country has a really lousy history of giving new medications to people of color. Correct. And, and so I have actually been guided by that. As a clinician, I'd love to see all my staff vaccinated. As a human being with children and grandchildren, I do not want to see the disparities that this country has had for so many years continued. And, and so we've been diligently developing educational programs and approaches to improving vaccine confidence in the frontline staff. Now, you might say, wait, the government's had 10 months to prepare for this. They, made, <laughs> they spent $10 billion on a vaccine what have they done to prepare for improving vaccine confidence? Nothing. Next to nothing. There's oh, actually a vaccine confidence team at the CDC. Oh, okay. Now. But uh, what, have they, what have they accomplished or what have they done? Um, well, first uh, of all, right now, the CDC is under an administration that right. doesn't believe in science. <laughs> right, right. So, so that's the, the first good, problem, right? The good news is, there are good people working on this at the CDC. It's just that they haven't honestly been allowed to do much with it right. or given resources to do much with it. So we developed, so, so we've actually developed training programs. So we've got a training, a sort of a train the trainer. We have a, a PowerPoint presentation. I've given it several times now to nursing home leaders so that, we can train the leaders in nursing homes how to talk to their staff, how to approach their staff. And then we have a second um, uh, PowerPoint on actually educating the staff themselves. So the key to the first part and the words, and I've seen you, I think you've seen me post this on Twitter multiple times now. I actually got the McKnight's reporter to put it in her article, I think that was Daniel Brown, uh, her article on the vaccine, the three words I'm using endlessly. And I actually give credit to Lisa Coleman, who's the, uh, the, the head of the California Ombudsman Association, mm -hmm. Long-Term Care Ombudsman Association. Respect, honor, and value. So, as someone who has a very deep and abiding appreciation in our frontline staff, we must respect them, we must honor them, we must value them. And, by, and then we approach this first, first, by hearing their concerns. Right. Before we even talk to them about why they should take the vaccine, we have to say to them, what are your concerns? You know, I just want to jump into something because in my book, Dignity and Respect, I talk about healthcare workers yeah. and I, I talk about them. Um, I talk about the fact that they're undervalued, under, underappreciated, um, undertrained, undersupplied, under all of those things. So it's great that you're taking it to that other side of it. And yes, it's all about what's person-centered. Person-centered is hearing the person's concern and trying to meet them there and help them along, you know, on a journey. No, that, that's, that's why I love your book. 
it connects with a lot of the things that I've been saying for <laughs> many years. And, you know, I think, I think in this case, the hearing part is so important. And, and you can't just say, okay, now I've heard, now you've got to, you, you've got to <laughs> let it rest. You've got, to, you've got to give them a day. And then we have the education to say, okay, now we're going to teach you about the vaccine. And we have a whole litany of things to go over. And once you've shared that, once you've educated, now you've got to hear them again. Right. Now you, once you give them the information, they're going to have more questions. You can't judge those questions. You have to hear them. You have to answer them honestly and transparently. And then you have to rest yet again and let it settle. And what, I, what we're seeing around the country, if you don't do any of this education, if you don't plan to reduce vaccine hesitancy or to increase vaccine confidence, you're gonna see in some communities as high as 80% vaccine hesitancy, mm -hmm. okay? You're gonna see communities where only 20% of the staff will take the vaccine. Now, in facilities where you've got great leadership and great culture and everyone's pulling together and they're educating and they're listening and they're hearing, I think you're gonna see as high as 75 to 80%. I agree, you might even get 90. Yeah, I've actually thought that, you know, for all the people who complain, myself included, about nursing home star ratings and ways of evaluating the quality of nursing homes, the initial vaccine uptake of staff might be one of the best measures of leadership. I that agree. We ever have. I, I, you and I have talked about leadership, the importance of leadership. And, uh, you know, I, I was... Uh, I mean, this is going off topic in a way, but I actually had a conversation on a podcast the other day. Someone was interviewing me about the book and I was talking a lot about leadership. You and I have talked about leadership. And I said that, um, you know, how do you, it's about mindset. You can't legislate mindset. You can't change mindset. Um, but but what, what do you have to find out about a person's why, why they're doing a thing? Um, why? that's really what's motivating them. So it really comes down to the same thing, whether it's, a, you know, a person's attitude towards leadership and what's their why is, or what the person's why is about why they're not doing a certain thing. You know, um, you mentioned the Washington Post article. Um, it was a, it was a pretty powerful article. It was. I, I have to say, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It's someone who's an advocate and been wanting to say a lot of the things uh, that, that you said in this article that I know to be true on the other side of the country. Um, I actually wrote a uh, letter to the editor at the Washington Post in response to that uh, article. I haven't heard from them as yet, but that's what I wanted to say, that that's been my experience, but on the other side of the country, and for 20 years. It's not like it was just this week. Right? You know, I, I wrote an op-ed and sent it to the Post, but I, have, I haven't heard from them either. So, um, and, you know, I would think, since I was featured in the article, they'd at least pay attention. But, but um, you know, the, the cool thing about that article was, you know, I, I left that position for ethical reasons. And the reasons are clear out there in the article now. And what was really cool for me was the complaint 
that the owner of the company I ran was that I wanted to spend money on a leadership program, <laughs> a leadership training program for the nursing home leadership. Right. And that was a problem to him. Because there's and, no return. He can't see the, the, the line on the return on the investment. Because as I think I've said to you, I have been in nursing homes and talked about this many times through the years, said, gee, I'd love to do it. I'm a communications person. I could do it from a communications point of view. Um, no takers, zero, no. because what's the bottom line? What am I going to get for that? What's my return on investment for this dollar? They can't really see the gestalt of forest through the trees. That'll be about staff retention. It will be about morale. And, and the end user, your resident, is going to get better care because of how the staff feels valued and communicated with and understood and all of those things. You know, the I think the key element of that article was that the privately held nursing home industry. I'm actually beginning to differentiate that because the publicly traded companies have a lot more transparency. They still have problems and they have problems that date back years. Okay. But, but the privately held nursing home companies, it's not about the residents. It's not about quality of care. It's about the real estate. It's about the related parties. It's about the ancillary businesses. Right. It's about profit. It's not about care. At the end of the day, the folks with the money behind those industries don't care about the residents. Okay. And so. Because they have, because their why is the money. Yep. The why is not aligned. I actually came up with this idea this morning. Um, how do you get somebody's why, but you can't really change their why because, but you're in a business and your why is not aligned with what the business is. Right. And that's what's causing you problems. Now you can't change a person's heart or mind, but what can you do to help that person maybe expand their view or incorporate, or I don't know, um, be willing to embrace some aspect of that why that would actually help resident care and also help their business because for them it's about their business but they don't understand that it's because they don't have the correct why i hate to tell you here's the problem when it comes to the the for the the, the for-profit private side the system is structured from a business perspective to focus on the real estate and the money and the related parties. There's no, they're actually, I'm not sure there's a why. And, you know, there's a new word going to be in the vernacular of our country. And I would say, and that word is Trumpian. <laughs> yeah, right. There is a Trumpian aspect to that side of the industry, which is it's all about the money. Right. And whatever you got to do to make the money. And this is why I thought the article was not only powerful, but important in the sense of we have to start with transparency. As soon as the, the consumer sees where the money is going in nursing homes, the pressure will begin to mount on changing the system. And I'm about advocacy and grassroots advocacy. So, 
yes, it's about that people seeing that. But in addition to that, if people start to say, especially with this COVID situation, you know, I don't know if any, I'm sure you remember the movie Network, I'm Mad as Hell and I Can't Take It Anymore. Uh, one of my favorites. Me too. So if people start to get to that point and say, hey, look, look at what you did with my mother. Look at, I can't visit my mother. Look at what happened to my family. If people really start to get mad as hell and can't take it anymore. I mean, we've seen that in other movements in this country in the last several months. I think that a shift can maybe start, maybe start to happen. What do you I, think? I, I, no, I, I don't, I, you know what? I mean, I, I'm an optimist. You know, one of my good friends and mentors who actually passed away recently um, used to say that if I walked into a room filled with horse manure, I'd ask, where's the pony? <laughs> okay. Now, that said, having worked in this industry and been in the back room, I'm also a cynic. Right. And, and also having been a geriatrician for over three decades, I am very concerned about the level of ageism in our society. Oh, goodness and, gracious. And, and so the issue is, will people care? And, mm. and I think there's one thing COVID has done. It has shown a light on inequity. It's shown a light on ageism. It's shown a light on racism. Okay. Because at, at the end of the day, um, you know, the frontline staff who have been in the most dangerous job in the country are primarily poor women of color. Primarily. And they're dying at excess rates. And, you know, right now with the vaccine, this oh, go, go back, circle back to the beginning to this discussion of what's going on with the vaccine. My great fear right now especially to some degree as it relates to nursing homes, but really as it relates to assisted living facilities, as the government has screwed up getting the vaccine out to these folks, everyone else is clamoring, where's my vaccine? Where's my vaccine? What's going to happen is they're going to say, okay, now you can get it. And where are the folks in assisted livings and the poor women of color who serve them? They're going to get pushed down behind again. I agree. And that is just abhorrent. abhorrent and intolerable. I want to say two things about that. Uh, there, today, my senior news for today was based on an article in Next Avenue. And the article was COVID-19, the future of aging, the medical path forward for older adults. And in the article, uh, Dr. Pizzo, who, who uh, wrote this article, actually says that, that the virus has exacerbated ageism because uh, there are people, he quotes somebody, or he, his quote is that the virus would be more tolerable if it wasn't for old people. So because there's a, a greater preponderance of older people and people of color and lower socioeconomic, people of the lower socio, socioeconomic strata in the country, uh, people think, well, if it wasn't for them, you know, it wouldn't be so bad. So in a way, it's exacerbating uh, ageism. Well, that, you know, that is, oh, now you're really depressing me. <laughs> um, you know, that, 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 but I think that is profound, and I believe it is true. 
And I believe at least we have the right administration coming in to approach these things. Um, I still am concerned that they don't understand long-term care and geriatrics. Well, that's why they need somebody like you, Mike. We're trying. I know I'm um, rooting for you all the way. If you need somebody with pom-poms, you know, I dance. If you need somebody with pom-poms, I'll do, I'll do, I'll be a cheerleader for a day. Oh, so no, I, I I tell you, um, I think, I think we just got to keep plugging away. I, I think again, circling back, we've got to do everything we can to get this vaccine into nursing homes, into assisted living facilities, into group homes. We've got to double our efforts to educate and train the staff who work there. Um, and, and, you know, we need to make sure that we've vaccinated all of our nursing home residents, all of our assisted living and group home residents. And yes, we also have to get the vaccine to 85-year-olds, 75. Saw a really interesting statistic today. The average age of white people who die from this virus is 81. The average age of black people who die, I remember, it's in the 70s. I don't remember the exact number. The average age of Latinx people who die is 68. Wow. So, and in this article that I read, it says, you know, people talking about older people and their vulnerability to the vaccine, but younger people are getting the vaccine, are getting the virus. I don't mean the vaccine, I mean the virus. And exponentially, it increases with each decade of years that that you've lived. So I've no. got the numbers from, I think it's 40 to 49, it was 8.9%. And then it went up from there to 300 per, was it 300 no. per thousand for people 80 to 85, something like that. And, and in reality, especially in the black and Latinx communities, as well to some degree in, in, in the poor white communities, the issue is multi-generational families. Right. That in those poorer communities, period, uh, which have a predominance of people of color in it, um, when grandpa's living in the same house as their grandchild or their grand, you know, or or their great grandchild, and mm-hmm. someone's bringing it home, they're dying. Right. The article, the article makes reference to that actually. That multi generational households that people are much more obviously, you know, much more vulnerable that this is a a serious, uh, this is really a serious issue. I want to just say one more thing. When we talk about comorbidities or underlying conditions that people have that make them more susceptible to the virus, whether it's diabetes or high blood pressure, obesity. So uh, some of those conditions increase as people get older anyway, but the prevalence of those conditions in, in marginalized communities, you know, communities with people of color um, because they don't have access to the same medical care and they don't have access to the same food and nutrition. So that's, so society is actually almost fanning those flames. Oh, it is, it is really, really sad. You know, one of the, one of the things I, I, you know, I was proud of being part of the national Academy committee was we did make mention of the multi-generational family situation. I think it's been lost in a lot of the discussions, and and I think, 
you know, as you know, one of the challenges, we made recommendations on who should get the vaccine. It wasn't our job to talk about how they were going to get it. Right. The moment we ended that committee, I switched over to focusing on the how. I focused a lot on improving vaccine confidence, thinking, and again, saying in my own lane, that I'd have to leave it to the logistics experts to get the vaccine to those people who need it. Unfortunately, those logistics experts have failed. Right. We know they failed at a level because this administration, again, is horrible. And, and unfortunately, they then gave a really non-transparent, challenging situation to all the states. Some states have done a little better than others, but they're trying to figure it out right now. And that's why we just came up with a set of recommendations that hopefully um, can help guide the states and hopefully will guide the incoming administration if, if they pay attention to it. Oh, don't you think they will? Because they, they are, I mean, there's, they seem, they appear to be very concerned about the virus. Listen, the, the number of cases is growing exponentially almost, but by each passing day, I mean, was it uh, 4,000, over 4,000 deaths the other day? Was that in California? Uh, was that in California? Yeah, so, so actually in December alone, or in the last month, there were 2,200 long-term care deaths in California. There were, so I, I looked at the KFF site the other day, just looking at the last month, and I counted up the number of deaths amongst the top 20 states. And after, I mean, looking at the top 20 states in terms of total deaths, I got up to 16,000. Oh my goodness. Okay. And so, and so, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, I stopped counting. I mean, we're, we're clearly in the 20 plus thousand range of long-term care deaths across the country last month alone. Oy. And all the more, so this is where we can sort of finish up this podcast right. with, with every week or two or month where we delay the vaccine, we're missing an opportunity to save thousands of lives mm. and that's why i've been completely obsessed by this and 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 rightfully so i mean it's just been it it's there really are no words to to really describe because these people are people's loved ones their mothers their fathers their grandparents their sisters their brothers their uncles their aunts their great-grandparents their Spouses, I mean, not everybody, by the way, people should know in nursing homes are of, of in their 70s, 80s, or 90s. There are people there for whatever reason are in a, a nursing home situation because whatever their physical condition is, they can't, they need that kind of care. Uh, I mean, so it's not only just older people, although we think of nursing homes as being a place where older people reside. But listen, Mike, I, I don't know what to say. This has just been unbelievably fantastic. I'm, I'm well, thanks thank, so much. Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoy um, talking to you. I think our combined experience over a little bit of time <laughs> um, has a lot of value. You know, it, it, it feeds off of uh, each other.
Yeah, no, for sure. And um, I mean, you're just doing such great work and anything I could do to support you. And I know you, uh, you, you tweet some of my stuff, you're supportive of my book and other stuff. And I really, really appreciate it. And uh, people should know we met over Twitter. And yep. uh, so you can for- forge great relationships uh, through social media, as long as you can uh, still maintain your Twitter account. We won't go there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but well, anyway, uh, thanks for sharing your time today. And uh, I mean, I know it's just been great for our listeners. So I'll just say to please join us on our next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. This is Phyllis Amen signing off. Please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your hosts, Phyllis Amen and Rubina Chaudhry, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms. 